0: Praise the name of the Lord. Is that your testimony tonight? There is none greater, there is none higher, and none stronger than our God. Our awesome, mighty God is He. Hallelujah. He has no rival and He has no equal. There is but one, and His name is Jehovah. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. Tonight, um, you can give your offering. You can continue to worship uh, by giving an offering. Ties an offering. You can drop that off in the boxes at the back door, or you can continue to give online. Uh, Tonight, we're going to say our declaration. We'll just say that together, Lord, today by faith we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health and healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. Father, we just come to you tonight to give you glory and honor and praise. We love you, Lord. And we gather together in this house tonight, Father, by faith in one name, Father, in one accord, Father, and one purpose. And that is to lift up the name of Jesus praise your holy name, Father. Lord, we just pray for a double portion of your anointing upon your servant tonight, Father. God, I'm just asking, Lord, for the word of God, Lord, to just drip from his lips, God, in a way that you would receive the most and the highest glory and honor, Father, that it would be deposited into our spirits, that it would take fruit and grow and manifest in this hour that we're living in, Father. Lord, I just pray, God, that you have your way in this house, Lord. God, God, let all flesh, Father, move aside, God, so that only the Spirit can live in us tonight, Father. Move and breathe upon your sons and daughters in this house, and do in us and with us whatsoever you choose and desire. And let everything that is done in this house, God, be done to exalt your name and to expand the kingdom of heaven. And we give you glory and honor and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: you're seated, would you one more time give praise to and exalt the name of Jesus, the name above every name. Lord, tonight we set our gaze to you, we exalt you, we give you praise. We will not be quiet, but we will open up our mouths and we will declare your goodness and your mercy and your love in this place. And we declare you as Lord and King and ruler over all, sovereign God we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated tonight. When Pastor asked me to preach tonight a few weeks ago, I started trying to discern the will of the Lord. As I started to do that, I, I preached a sermon in youth back in July, and the Lord kept taking me back to it, and I tried not to. I tried to preach something else, and the Lord wouldn't let me. Um, so tonight I'm going to share with you a sermon I shared in youth a month ago or so. And there is some things added to it, but I do believe this is what the Lord wants for this night. Would you pray with me, Lord? We thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you would use me to accomplish that, what you want to accomplish in this place and in this house. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you think about it, in Finland... Every line is a finish line. What does that have to do with the sermon? Nothing. Proverbs 16, 1 through 9. I'm just making sure you're awake out there. Proverbs 16, 1 through 9 says this. The plans of the heart belong to man. But some of y'all get that when you go home. It'll click. The plans of heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Key verse right here, verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes his enemies to be at peace with him. But, Bitter, better, excuse me, as a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Key verse here, verse 2, I'll read again. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. The NIV puts it this way. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Key word here, motives are weighed by the Lord. In other words, God doesn't just focus on what humans do. God's not only just concerned with our actions. God also weighs why we do what we do. For example... Let's just say there's someone in your neighborhood, and you decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to mow their yard. They didn't ask me to, but it's getting a little tall. If mine is right now, I don't know about you. It's getting a little tall. No, I'm not asking you to come mow my yard. Good grief. That's not what this is about. But let's just say someone in your neighborhood, they need their yard mowed so you do it. You don't ask. You just do it, right? That seems like a nice thing to do, right? You might even say that's a good thing. To do, You might even go as far to say that's a Christ-like thing to do. But was that action truly a righteous thing if you did it with the wrong motives? Did you just do it so you could show and tell everyone how good a person you are? Did you do it for the post on social media? Did you do it to boost your self-esteem or did you do it because they just happened to be An elderly couple, I love you elderly couples, but hear me out, and they've got this really nice car, and they take really good care of it, and they never drive it, and so you're wanting to get a sweet deal on that car, and maybe if you're just good enough, they'll even write you in their will and give you that car, amen? (laughs) Looks like a good deed, right, from the outside, harmless, good, you mow a yard, big deal, but it's good. But what about your motives? What about your why? Tonight, I hope you understand by the end of this, if you don't already, that your why is more important than your what. And if it's more important to God, it should be more important to us. Tonight, I don't know if you know this, but God knows your heart. And he knows whether or not your motives are pure or not, even if your neighbor doesn't. God doesn't just judge people based on, on, on what, what they do. But he sees right through the man. He sees why we act. Why we react. He sees our heart. We can't fool him. So that's the question I pose to all of us in this place. In this space tonight. Is what are your motives? What's the heart behind why you do what you do? And to put it the most simply perhaps. What is your why? And that's the title of this sermon tonight. But before we get into the word even deeper. First thing. I want to do is give you a clear picture, a clear definition of what the Bible means, what it's saying when it refers to the word. It uses the word heart. The Bible uses the word heart all throughout the scriptures. And if you were to count them up, you see the word heart used 601 times throughout the Bible, and you see it used 97 times in Proverbs alone. And most of the time when you stumble across this word, I, almost all the time when you stumble across this word in scripture, heart, it's not referring to just a physical heart. It's referring to something much, much more. So the question is, what is the Bible referring to when it says heart? What does the Bible tell us about the heart? What are our hearts? What do they do? And what, how, what is that like in scripture? What is the Lord trying to communicate to us? Now... There are four things that the heart does, and you can find these in scripture, and I didn't come up with this. There's a sermon called Guard Your Heart, John Lindell preached, and it's fabulous, and it talks a little bit more about this, and there's also a video on YouTube if you want to look at it um, by the Bible Project about the heart. It's fantastic. But we can break down the heart into four categories. Are you with me? First, our heart has an intellectual capacity, capacity, excuse me. That means that our hearts think. It's where we ponder. It's where we debate. It's where we process. And it's the way we perceive the things around us. That's one biblical capacity of the heart. The second would be our hearts have an emotional capacity, it's where we experience emotion. Anger, love, anxiety, joy, sadness, anguish, those things take place and flow from our heart a heart the third thing it has is a volitional capacity it's where we make decisions it's where we decide the actions that we will take it's where we decide what we'll do it's where we decide how and what we will do when we respond to something the fourth and last thing our heart has a moral capacity our heart is where we store our beliefs it's where we decide and store what is right And wrong. It's where we store what we think about the issues going on around us, social issues, world issues. That's where those things are pondered, is in our heart. Now, that's the picture the Bible paints in our hearts. And this is so important. And this is what Proverbs 16 and the scriptures are trying to communicate to us is that our hearts are the place in which our actions flow from, it's where your why resides. Your heart is where your why resides. Just like Proverbs 16 tells us. Your heart and your actions go hand in hand. And to get into this, to get in the nitty gritty of this, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16 and 17. Some of the most well-known events in all of Scripture take place in 1 Samuel 16 and 17. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of backstory in case you don't know what's happening right before these chapters. But the first king... Saul, the king of Israel, he's appointed king. God didn't want Israel to have a king. Israel was God's chosen people, but they wanted a king. So God appointed Saul. He anointed Saul as king. And right before chapter 16, we see Saul mess up yet again to such an extent. He just disobeys the Lord to such, such an extent that God rejects Saul as being king. Verse or excuse me, 1 Samuel 16, verse one. I'll read it to you. The Lord said to Samuel, the prophet of Israel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So what does Samuel do? Samuel obeys the Lord he goes to the house of Jesse the Bethlehemite to examine his sons and wait for the Lord to tell him who would be appointed king. And in verse 6, we see this, verse 6 through 13, the same chapter. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called in Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are you, all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. Ramah, emphasis on verse seven. If you'll put verse seven back up there. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, what he can see, the actions, that look. But the Lord looks at the heart. In the next chapter, Perhaps one of the most famous events in all of scripture take place, the story of David and Goliath. People outside and inside, inside specifically, but even outside the church know the story or at least know about it and know the outcome. And if you don't know, that's okay. But I'm just going to give you a little spoiler. Does anybody like spoilers? Don't like movie spoilers. Don't spoil a movie for me. I'll cut you. I'll cut you. Metaphorically. Metaphorically, I will cut you. Anyway, spoiler alert, David defeats Goliath. David cuts off that dude's filthy head and waves it in the air like he just don't care. Well, anyway. You shouldn't talk about that like that, right? But that's what happened, right? And you might already see where I'm going with this, but this is what happened. But even more important, I want to look at why. Why did this happen? Why did this take place? And honestly, in chapter 17, verse 23, David's brother, one of his brothers said, Hey, David, why are you even here? I'm going to read this verse, verse 28. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. This was before he would even face Goliath. This is what he said. What are you doing around here anyway? What about those few sheep you were supposed to take care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. So why was David even there? Were his intentions like his brother said? Were they bad? Were they evil? Did he have selfish motives? We'll find out here in just a little bit. But I want to ask some why's. Some things that take place in the story and why they happen. There's some whys I'm going to ask. Why was David even there? What is a young shepherd boy doing at a battlefield? Why did David ultimately go out and decide to face Goliath? We're going to dig into that a little bit. And why in the world did Saul in his army let David, a little boy, go out to face such a man? And why in the world did he win? And then we're going to look at how that applies to us. We're going to relate some of these things in this story and how they apply to us. Chapter 17 tells us all these whys. The Bible gives you a lot of answers to your question, people. You just got to dig in and look. You just do. Here we go. Question number one, are you alive? That's not the question uh, here. But anyway, just making sure you're alive. Why was David even there? We see it. We see why he was there. Verse 17 through 20. Jesse said to David, his son, take your brothers and Epah, I said that wrong, of this parched grain and 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers and take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines and David rose early in the morning Left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went. And Jesse commanded him, and he carried to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Why was David there? Because his dad told him to be. It's that simple. And this is a beautiful thing. And I told your, your kids this, if you have kids that are in youth, a month ago, I said, Obey your parents, you stinking heathens. You're welcome. You're welcome, parents. You can, you can write a check to me later. Anyway, <laughs> some of y'all take me way too serious. Why is this important? Why are we even asking this question? It's important because David was exactly where he was supposed to be. That's why it's important. He was exactly where he was supposed to be, and he was there with pure motives, with a pure heart. So I ask this question to you, what about you? Why are you where you are? And we could ponder here for a long time. And I'm just going to say a few things here and we'll move on. Here's a question for you. Why do you work where you work? Why? Is it where you're supposed to be? Have you even asked the Lord? Is it where you're supposed to be? Are you supposed to be somewhere else? And if you're supposed to be doing something else, be somewhere else. Why are you not? Here's another question. Why, if so, if this is you, why are you spending so much time away from your home and away from your family? I'm gonna talk to men for just a minute and this applies to all of us, but just hear me out. Why do you spend so much time away from your family and your home on the golf golf course in the deer woods, on the river or the lake in the shop, playing video games, we could keep going here, and the truth is, I just pray you examine: Why do you go where you go? Where do you, why do you shop where you shop? Why do you do all these things? Why are you where you are? I pray you examine them as you go. Here's the thing: if you're not, if you're, if you're gonna do what God wants you to do, it starts with being in the place that God wants you to be. That's the first step. You got to have a pure heart, and that's what we're getting at. But if you want to do what god is calling you to do then the first step you got to take is you need to be where he's calling you to be he needs to be your why and here's a bonus question anybody like bonus questions here's a bonus question for you the extra credit here's the question it, maybe you are where you're supposed to be but if that's you are you present are you present did you hear what i said are you present are you physically where you're supposed to be? You're physically at your job. You're physically at your home with your family or wherever you reside, wherever you hang out. You're there where you're supposed to be, but you're not present. Your mind is somewhere else. You're checked out. Pull out your phone. If you've got a phone, pull it out, if you would. That sounded bossy. If it's in your purse, don't, don't, don't worry about it. It's all good. Just pull it out. Look at it, if you would. Man, nobody got a phone in here. That's crazy, dog. Anyway, here's the question. Are you avoiding reality? Hear me. Are you avoiding reality? You're where you're supposed to be, but you're at home. You're on your phone. You're at home. You're watching TV. You're at home. You're there physically, but you're not present at all. You see in verse 23, what does it say? David was where he was supposed to be at the end of the verse And David said, David heard Goliath. He wasn't just there. He was present. He wasn't just where he was supposed to be. He was present. Are you present where you're supposed to be? Are you even where you're supposed to be? I'll ask again. Are you where you're supposed to be? Moving on. Let's move on to question two. Some of y'all are like, why are you getting up in my business? Question two, why did they let David fight Goliath? I mean, really think about how messed up this is. Why? Go read it for yourself. Why did Saul and his army let David go fight Goliath? They were afraid. Fear. That's why. Goliath stood nine feet nine inches tall. He carried a shield that covered his whole body. The end of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Just the end of it. That scares me. His coat of chainmail that he wore, something like chainmail you would see that a knight would wear, something like that, weighed 125 pounds. And this guy had a reputation. For kicking butt and taking names. That's what he did. And Saul and his men were afraid. And you know what's sad about this story? Great story. Powerful story. God moved and done exactly what needed to be done. But the thing was, it was ultimately supposed to be Saul's responsibility to face Goliath. Have you ever even thought about that? Saul was the one who should have fought him a long time ago. But he set back and cowered in fear, afraid to face Goliath. Here's a question for all of us. What about you? Are there fights that you're letting someone else fight that God wants you to be fighting? Fights that you're meant to be fighting because God wants you to, but you're not. And the question is, if you're not fighting, if you're like Saul and you're not fighting, the question is, why? Why aren't you fighting? As I was getting into this, someone came to mind. Who's heard of Reinhard Bonnke? Have you ever heard of him? Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, an incredible man, he passed away, I believe, last year. Reinhard Bonnke, perhaps the greatest missionary evangelist of his generation, Literally. Incredible man of God. Called to Africa. Seen millions of people saved, set free, delivered, healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Incredible ministry. And several years ago, I'll never forget as long as I live. I was at a church, I was at a conference with several people from our church. And we got this invitation to go and sit in a smaller setting and listen to Reinhard Bonnke talk. And he's walked in the room. When I looked at this man... And I listen to him speak. I've never seen such fire, such passion in someone from the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget it as long as I live and I still get stirred up talking about it. This man and the weight and the anointing that this man carried. But the short version of this story, at least the beginning of it, the very short version is that when God called Reinhard Bonnke to Africa... He didn't want to go. His flesh, didn't, he didn't want to go. But God spoke to Reinhardt and he said, you were my third choice. Think about that. Two other men, God thought more of, think about it, than Reinhard reject God's call. Think about that. So I ask again, is there a Goliath that God is calling you to fight, but you haven't engaged and it's just standing there mocking you? That's a hard question. Is there a Goliath that God wants you to fight and you're not fighting it? Is there a Goliath in your family? Is there a Goliath at your job? Is there a Goliath in this city? Is there a Goliath in this state, in this nation, in this world? That God wants you to be fighting, but you're not. Here's the truth. If God is calling you to fight a Goliath, whatever that Goliath is, you will defeat it. It will fall. It will. Did you hear me? It will fall. You will cut off its filthy head and wave it in the air in victory if that's what God's calling you to do. Any Goliath you don't fight, you're leaving for someone else to fight. Did you hear me? You're leaving it for someone else. You know, I'm thankful for a father who fought a Goliath off of my family, and I never had to fight that fight. I am. My dad's brothers have a past of abuse of alcohol and substances. And guess what? My dad beat that Goliath. And I didn't have to face that in my life. And I thank God for that. I thank you. Any Goliath, you don't fight that you're supposed to fight. Someone else is going to have to fight it, y'all. And I'm speaking to my generation and the generations older than I. What fights are you leaving for your kids and your grandkids because you laid dormant and scared and didn't do what God asked you to do? And didn't fight the fight that God asked you to fight? I, I implore you, do not be like Saul. Do not cower in fear. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what Goliath you're supposed to fight. The Lord will show you, and you probably already know. Fight the fight that you're meant to fight so someone else doesn't have to. Moving on. Ultimately, question number three, why did David go out to fight Goliath? Are you with me out there? Why did David go out to fight Goliath? We find out right in the scriptures right here. Isn't it awesome? Yes, it is. I'll say it for you. Verse 23. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, How, excuse me, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this some circumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So it shall be done to the man who kills him. So David, in this moment, whether you realized it or not, is faced with a decision. His motives are tested Right here in this moment, his motives are tested. Which reason would he decide to go out and fight? Would he go out and fight for the fame and the riches and the glory? Or would he fight for the Lord? That was the question, right? Here's the thing, and I I could expound here, but I won't. This is just one I want you to go home and think about. David's true motives here in just a minute are revealed when he steps on the battlefield when there's fight, when there's tension, when there's struggle. You want to know your motives. You want to know your heart. You'll figure it out really quick when you're on the battlefield. You'll figure it out really quick when you're stretched, when there's tension, because it's in those moments that your heart, what's in it, comes to the surface, and you see who you really are, and you see... What your why really is. Go home and think about that. Moving on. Lots of questions tonight. First Samuel, I'm going to read all these verses. 17, 41 through 54. And I don't apologize for all these verses, by the way, because they're good. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David. With his shield-bearer in front of him, and when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And if you don't know this, when he said this, that's more disheartening, that's worse for your ego than dying. You would rather die than not get a proper burial in these days. This is the biggest burn you can give somebody in these days, period. Anyway, moving on. That was for free. You can pay me later. I got to stop saying that. Somebody's really going to take me serious. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone shrank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of the sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way to Shariah. I said that wrong. As far as Gath and Ekron and the people of Israel. It's okay. I knew as soon as I hit that, it was going to go down. Came back from chasing the Philistine. They plundered their camp, and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Man, I love that. So why? Why did David fight? Was it for his own glory? No, it was not. He fought for the name of the Lord. Why did he win? Because the Lord empowered him. To have victory, that's why. Because what God saw in David held true. What did he see? Why was he anointed king? Why was he chosen? His heart. His motives were pure. And that's why God empowered him to defeat Goliath. And that's why God anointed David to be king. Now, think about this. If David would have fought Goliath with the wrong motives, I believe he would have lost. He would have lost. He might have not even been mentioned in the scripture. He wouldn't have the legacy that he has. His legacy would have been one of defeat. He would have never been king. He would just be known as a boy full of promise With bad intentions. And some might even call him. Would have called him a fool. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. Because God saw his heart. And his motives were pure. And that's why he won. And that's why we read about what happened today. So more questions towards you. That I want to ask. What about you? What are your whys? Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. I'm going to read that again. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. I'll go there in a minute. Practical wise, here's some questions for you. Why do you hang out with who you hang out with? Why do you live in the neighborhood that you live in? Why do you drive what you drive? Why do you have to eat that late night snack? i well, am step it on your toes so I had to like make you feel a little bit better. I really believe this. There are so many things that we should be asking why about. When I have a bad reaction to something, when, when someone makes me angry and I lash out, you know what I need to be asking? Instead of getting angry at that person and blaming them, I need to be asking myself, why did that affect me so much? Why did I lash out? Why? Here's some more spiritual whys. Why are you even here tonight? Did you even think about it? Why? Why were you here this morning? Why did you or did you not raise your hands and sing and worship tonight? Why are you or aren't you reading your Bible? Why are you following Jesus? Why are you paying your tithes or not paying your tithes? What is your why? What are your motives? Are they pure? Are they honorable in the sight of God? That is the question. Wrapping this up, something we must understand to grab a hold of what the Lord's trying to speak to us in this place We must understand that we are not born with a clean, pure, righteous heart. You are not born with good intentions. And you cannot muster up good intentions either. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the heart we are born with. That's the heart you were born with. But when we begin to follow Jesus... God changes our heart, He cleanses our heart, and we no longer act the way we used to act, react the way we used to react, believe the way we used to believe, because the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and He makes us new. Your human willpower cannot overpower your human nature. Did you hear what I said? Your human willpower will not overpower your human nature. It won't work. It won't happen. Your hard work will not create in you a pure heart. Your hard work will not make yourself new. You cannot make yourself pure. You on your own cannot force your motives to be good. You can't. You know what's great? God doesn't ask us to. Nor does he expect us to. I tell my kids this all the time. There's not one thing God asks us to do that he doesn't also empower us to do. There's not. If God asks you to do something, he will empower you to do it. In closing, would you stand? In closing, God's not just looking at what you do. He's judging why you're doing it. He cares about your why. So hear me in this moment. Please stop trying to fool yourself. Please stop trying to fool everyone else. You can't fool God. and God is not after your actions anyway. He's after your heart. God's not after your actions. He wants your heart. And when he has your heart, and when you give it to him and you let him transform you and continually make you more and more like him, that's when righteous action comes doesn't work the other way around and I'm convinced a lot of people try it the other way around and they fail anyway I believe this God wants in to all men's hearts he wants in he's standing at the door of your heart of every man's heart and he's knocking just asking just let me in. Just let me in. Revelations 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I love that. If you don't know Christ, stop trying to be good on your own. Stop trying to fix yourself. Give God your heart. Let him make you new. And let him be your Why? the why you follow Jesus, the why you exist, let him be that. And if you have given him your heart, let him examine you. Let him show you if your motives are godly and righteous or if they're not. David wrote this in Psalm 51 verse 10. And this is, he wrote this and he said this and he's saying this perhaps right after he had slept with Bathsheba and then killed Uriah her husband to cover up her being pregnant. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Another psalmist wrote this, and I prayed this prayer when I was 11 years old for the first time. And I pray it periodically as the Holy Spirit tells me to, and this prayer literally changed my life. It literally set my life on a different trajectory. Psalm 139, 23 through 24, a different psalmist wrote this, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any grievous way in me, lead me in the way of everlasting. If you'll bow your heads in this place, if you're in this place tonight and you need to know Christ, this is your opportunity. I believe He stand at the door and knock. And he says, I want to give you purpose. I want to give you life. I want to make you new. I want to set you free. I want to sit down and eat with you. I want relationship with you. If that's you tonight, I just pray that you come. But if that's not you, if you've given God your heart, I pray this. I pray that you stop just worrying about what you do and you start to ask yourself why you do what you do because I assure you and I pray that you're convinced that God's much more concerned with your why than your what. Because when your why is right, your what will be right, not the other way around. When your why is right, your what will be right, not the other way around, people. So let the Lord examine you. And if you would, if you so feel impressed by the Spirit, I'm just going to ask, come to this altar and let the Lord search you. And I'm going to pray this prayer over you one more time. And if you so feel the need, feel the pull, come. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. As they sing, I will, if you so feel the need, if you would come and let the Lord search your heart.